You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This episode of the Tone Mob Podcast is brought to you by Sinusoid. As always, the lovely dudes at Sinusoid have come through yet again to help deliver this episode straight to your ears. And I want to tell you about their custom shop. Yes, they've got a lot of off-the-shelf stuff that you can buy. they got some DIY stuff. But I want to talk about their custom stuff because a lot of people don't realize they're, uh, they're capable of a lot. A lot more than just instrument cables. They can do snakes. they got, you know, power cables. All sorts of different colors of TechFlex. If you don't see exactly what you're looking for, just email them. Email anybody over there at uh, support at sinusoid.com and tell them what you're dreaming of, and I would be willing to bet money that they can make it happen. So go to sinusoid.com, check out all the offerings, and make the cable of your dreams. This episode is also brought to you by the Fear the Rift Expo. That's right, it's returned for 2018, and it's taking place in Brooklyn, New York on August 11th. That's a Saturday, good folks. Brooklyn, New York, Fear the Riff, August 11th. There's going to be a ton more vendors there. There's even uh, a few rumored guests that might show up. I know I teased about that last time, but I'm teasing about it again. Once I have confirmation, I will let you know. I will be there. We'll probably do some sort of a Tone Mob VIP uh pass thing again, which was a, a good time, and, and hopefully we can make it even cooler than than it was last time. So, there again. Saturday, August 11th, Brooklyn, New York. Fear the Riff. Be there. I'll be there. And, you know, let's say hi. Maybe eat a taco or something. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, uh, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I am your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Tom Wisniewski of the band MXPX. How's it going, man? How's it? Good. How are you, man? I'm just going to pretend that we haven't been talking for 10 minutes already, because that's... There you go. You know, this, is, this is all fresh right now. It's so fresh. It is. It's actually a lot more fresh, to be honest. It's a lot more fresh than most of my episodes. Uh, most of my episodes, I've had a conversation or two already, but this is like, wham, bam, this we're into it. We're going. Jump in the deep end. Let's go. We better learn to swim. <laughs> Let's do it, man. So I'm thinking a lot of my audience, they're, you know, they're around my age. They probably are at least aware of heard of your band name before, but if you would give a, maybe a a, you know, a quick snippet of a overview of MXPX and your kind of history, and then maybe we can get into the the gearness and whatever else happens. 
Yeah, so uh, MXPX, we started up here in uh, Bremerton, Washington in 1992. That's like 25 years ago now, and uh, been playing music and touring the world pretty much solid until like 2009 when we kind of slowed down for a while. Uh, some of us got jobs, and uh, now we kind of, I consider it hobby rocking. We go out on the weekends and stuff, and it's pretty awesome. That, that does seem like a pretty good place to be. Um... Oh, yeah. you guys it's seem wonderful. A, it, it seems like a like a like a like a have your cake and eat it too type of situation. I mean, I definitely miss touring full time, but uh, you know, nowadays with touring and all that, it kind of it's just as easy just to book out weekends and fly around and do it that way. Yeah, that's really cool that you guys. Uh, you know, I think you know all the the work you put in in the early years is you know what enabled you to be able to do that? Cause I mean, there's, there's guys that, I mean, they have to tour and that's what they have to do. <laughs> you know, the, the flight is not really an option. Yeah, definitely. When you're making your name, you want to be out there playing every night, you know, but, uh, once you get a little more established, you can kind of like, we're pretty selective about what we do. We say, we say no to shows way more than we say yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so when we play, it's usually on our terms and it, it works out for us and what we want to be doing. That's really interesting. What uh, what was it like when you first started, though? Like, was there ever a period, but like, because you played for a long time for like very consistently. Was there ever a time where it kind of felt like it was more of a grind for, you know, like an actual like real hard job versus like, man, we're getting to do this thing. I mean, Definitely. I mean, you know, in the uh, in the early days of touring, uh, especially like, you know, rolling around in a like, 15 passenger van with like three, four. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we'd start tours where the first show would be in San Diego, then Denver, then Phoenix, then Dallas the next day. And those are long drives. You're literally jumping off stage, packing up the gear and the merch and jumping and driving all night to the next spot. And it, it grinds on you after a while. I mean, luckily, when you get over the East Coast and you're up in the Northeast, everything's like an hour drive and it's all cake at that point but man some of those tours running around the southwest and like we had to buy emergency gas one time in arizona and we're pretty sure that's how we blew up the engine in one of our vans oh wow just yeah it just it it can be a grind down in there for sure because it's it's like touring on mars kind of between any shows there's nothing out there that sounds uh that sounds awful breaking down in the middle of arizona is not that's there's a lot of places that would be much better to break down Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we had a we had the beginning of one of our first tours where our radiator blew up in the middle of the night, and we were heading to Denver from Orange County, California, and we had to drive for about twenty minutes, then stop, let it cool down, put more water in, all night. It was ridiculous. I mean, luckily we didn't have a show the next day, so it worked out. We had to stop in Flagstaff, Arizona, and get a new uh, radiator. But the cool thing too is. Throughout that, you know, since we're stopping on the side of the road in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere, I mean, it's just like pitch black and you see more stars than you ever see in your life. And, you know, just picking out all the satellites buzzing around. Pretty, you know, silver lining of, you know, the all night drives and breaking down as you get to see some really fun things. I know exactly what you're talking about. I had a, I wasn't on tour, obviously, but I was in a van and uh, the radiator blew out in the middle of the Oregon desert. And so uh, 
very similar situation of driving for 15, stare at the stars and go, wow, that's pretty, but I sure wish I was back at camp. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's, okay, I can take a little bit of positive out of this, but I'd much rather just be cruising at this point. Of course, of course. So this is supposed to be, I'm told, I'm told that this is a gear podcast about guitar gear. That rarely, <laughs> that rarely is the case. Usually we end up talking about a whole, like, uh, the stars and vans is a good example of what we usually end up talking about. But um, you gotta, you gotta maybe mix we can it up. take, oh man, we've, I should, I, I've said on many episodes, I should have started a food podcast. We would have talked about guitar pedals a lot more. Um, <laughs> food, uh, the, the food comes in quite frequently. Um, but on that, on that note of trying to be somewhat on topic, you, what did you guys start out with, or at least you specifically as a guitar player? And then what did that kind of slide into you, you playing these days? Like you take, take us through the whole journey if you, as much as you can remember it anyway. Oh yeah. Jeez. Let's see my first like real kind of pro gear setup. I had like, you know, like an Epiphone SG and like, you know, like a little practice amp and stuff like that originally. And my mm-hmm. first kind of pro gear, though, I ended up getting a, a like a Burgundy Les Paul Studio, and uh, yeah, you know, it was like my first, it was my first Les Paul, and it was you know, obviously like entry level stuff, but it worked right. And then I had a uh, a JCM nine hundred uh, high gain dual reverb that I mm-hmm. used for a couple years, and then we were recording Life in General down in. Uh, California and uh the producer had a an old JMP and then he had a uh dual rectifier and mm-hmm. I played the dual rec and I'm like, whoa, these are cool. It's like got diamond plate on it and it sounds awesome. So I ended up uh getting one of those through uh his roommate was uh the guitarist of Ten Foot Pole. They're an old uh epitaph band. Mm-hmm. And uh he had one that he had bought and he's like, Yeah, I bought the dual, but I really want the triple. So if you want to buy this one off me Here's the invoice. You can pay what I what I paid cost. So I got that, and that was a workhorse for me. That thing never broke down. I played the thing for years, and uh, I ended up getting sponsored with uh, with Mesa. So, you know, fast forward a bunch of years, and uh, in probably the late '90s, early 2000s, I was playing six four twelves on stage with. Uh, <laughs> yes. I still had that dual. I still had that dual rec running one of the uh, one of the half one of the half or sorry a full stack. Uh, and I would have that one running like the two like bottom kind of inside towards the drum riser ones. Mm-hmm. Then on top of that, I had a silver jubilee, a Marshall silver jubilee running the top two. Yes, just blasting my face off. And then uh, I used a a Mesa Maverick on uh just the one lower outside one. Uh, it sounded better on one cabinet versus two for some reason. And then the top one just for symmetry, we left it there, but it wasn't it wasn't plugged in. It was kind of dummy. But yeah. that was yeah, that was much much of a fast forward like to that. Then we kind of streamlined it a little bit and came back down a little bit. Because the thing with that was Mesa was I don't know if they had a clearance on cabinets or what, but my uh, my buddy Tien, who was my rep there, uh he called me up one day. He's like, Hey, do you need any cabinets? I'm like, Yeah, I'd take some Mesa cabinets. He's like, Two hundred bucks a pop, how many do you want? I'm like, What? That's what? like fifty bucks. That's fifty bucks a speaker. Are you kidding? Yeah, that's so he, that's, he had that's a, basically free. Yeah, he <laughs> had a bunch he had to get rid of. So I was I was just like, uh, yeah, send me six. It was fun too because at this point we would jump around on top of our uh, 
our cabinets like a lot because Mike on his side he had uh three eight tens some ampegs right so kind of like we had a, a a pretty clean stage like all the amps were tucked behind and everything but the cabinets were all out front but uh we would run around and jump on top of those so uh the eight tens in some flight cases kind of they were pretty sturdy but you know a bunch of four twelves that's not super sturdy to jump on so we had this system where we'd literally we'd run a truck strap around the outside of all six cabinets and strap it down all tight and then we would put two of the cases on the floor behind it to make like kind of a T around mm-hmm. a truck strap around from the handle on one side to the handle on the other across the uh across the cabinets. And man, you could drive a car into that thing and it wouldn't move. It was it was solid. That's so awesome. No joke. I love <laughs> I love that like we're so dedicated to the punk rock show, we must figure out and engineer a specific way to uh jump off our cabinets. I love that so much. That's phenomenal. Well we were just we were sitting at sound check one day and I was just screwing around waiting for them to uh you know fix a mic or something on the drums and I ran up and I jumped on the uh drum riser and just hopped up on top of uh Mike's bass cabinet and he was like, Hey what the hell? I'm like, I don't know, just hanging out, right? So he's like <laughs> he goes and goes on the other side and jumps on mine and it's all super wobbly and we're like, dude, you're gonna fall and then we're like, wait a minute, this could be cool. Well like we always like, you know, jump off the drum riser and off the amps and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it just ended up being one of those things where it's just like, you know, we could really do this if we just kind of tighten up that side a little bit. I'm pretty sure my guitar tech of a buddy of mine uh, named JJ, he probably hated it, but uh, <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. It's like you're making the tubes rattle. Stop kicking the amps type of deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it's rock and roll. What do you want? Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. So then going forward from that a little bit, uh, I think, you know, eventually we kind of decided, well, that's ridiculous. That's so much gear. It looked cool on stage, but it was a lot of stuff. Uh, I ended up streamlining a little bit. I ended up doing two 412s. I bought a couple of uh, old 70s Marshall 412s with uh, one of them had 30s in it. One of them had 25s in it. Mm-hmm. So we ended up and we, we kind of Frankensteined the cabinets to where we put the 30s on the tops because they're both slants. Okay. So we put the 30s on the tops so they'd be a little more clean, just slightly, right? Than the 25s. Yeah. So we put the 25s across the bottom of all four. And then I kind of had like, you know, we would mic the top and bottom. It would be slightly different sounds coming. So we do that. And then I ran, a, I ended up getting a an old, like a 1979 Marshall JMP. Cool. And then I still ran my Jubilee or... I got an 800 at one point too, so it kind of switched between the Jubilee and the 800 as the second one. But that GMP was like the standard for a bunch of years too. That that thing and my dual rec are probably the two amps I played the most. Do you still have them? Uh, sold the dual rec to a buddy of mine uh, down in Denver, but I still have that GMP. I, I'll never get rid of that thing. Very cool. Yeah, that thing. It was cool. I was in uh, Minneapolis at soundcheck and our tour manager at the time this girl gloria she's like hey i got a buddy who lives in town here he he like you know modifies the amps like he works on amps and everything uh you know he wanted to bring one down for you to check out maybe i'm like yeah sure whatever i haven't bring soundcheck so he brings this jmp up on stage sets it up and i walk in and meet him say hey and plug into it and it just like immediately i was like uh yeah this is this is awesome so i kind of tried to play it cool i'm like yeah that's pretty rad and so we sound checked and we played it all through sound check and it was pretty sweet. And then I was like, Gloria, ask him how much he wants for it, right? So eventually she asked her buddy, hey, how much you want? 
says 500 bucks. I'm like, give the, pay the man. <laughs> Hurry up. Like this thing's not leaving. Right. I'm like $500 for this thing. God, yes. Oh man. That's, that's a smoking deal on, even if yeah. it was not even working that well, <laughs> that would be a good deal. Oh, dude. And that's, and that's the thing too. This guy, I don't, he had some sort of tie to Pearl Jam. I don't know if he like, he worked on some of their amps or if he sold them amps or what. But uh, yeah, I didn't let him take it off stage. I'm like, this thing's staying right here. That's right. Them Seattle guys aren't getting yeah. this from me. Bremerton's gonna win this one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if like you know Mike McCready might end up with or something, but who knows? But I'm happy I have it. That's... I love that thing. It records great, sounds great. It's been a tank. Same thing. Just it never breaks down. That's awesome. That leads me to something. What yeah. you just said. You're, you were talking about your stage gear a lot. But I'm imagining it looked a little mm-hmm. different in the studio. Not a lot of speakers. Uh, yeah, jumping. definitely. Uh, no, no, definitely not that. You know, only one four ten. It's not that fun to jump off of. No. Or sorry, four twelve. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's see. Like over the years, like like for life in general, like I said, we had the the JMP and the dual rack, and that literally was just like a JMP on one side, mm-hmm. uh, the Mesa dual rack on the other, and that's just how it was. Uh, Moving through the years, like uh, when we recorded Ever Passing Moment with Jerry Finn, uh, he would do a triamping thing where he had the kind of like the higher kind of frequency amp, a mid and a low. Okay. So for that, uh, I can't remember if it was a, a dual reverb or what, but he had a, uh, he had a Fender combo that we ran for like the kind of higher sound one. Okay. Then we ran a, a Silver Jubilee for the mid. And then he had a triple rec uh, that we had used that we used for the low, and we get all three of them sound really good. Then we kind of blend them together. He had this uh, this plexi though. He had a Marshall plexi. It was a it was a white plexi, white cabinet, all hand wired, like whatever fiftieth anniversary, twenty fifth anniversary, whatever it was. Yeah. But it was hand wired, and I want to say it was maybe by Jim Marshall. It was it was crazy. Like it was like he was like, ooh, check this out. You know, like you know. You can touch it, you know, kind of thing. Like it was, it was really like his kind of special, his baby thing. Mm-hmm. And the the weird thing about it is, you plugged in like we just stood right in front of it, you know. Les Paul cable straight into it. Everything on ten based on zero. It sounded. It was the best sounding I've ever heard in my life. It just was incredible. But the weird part about it is, it just didn't. It didn't record right. Like we threw mics in front of it, and it just never sounded never sounded as good as just standing out in front of it. So we actually never recorded with it, but it was the most incredible guitar sound I'd ever heard at that That's point. That's really interesting. I wonder, I wonder what, it, <clears throat> yeah, what some... it would have sounded like to, <clears throat> maybe you tried this, but uh, just room micing it. I don't know. Yeah. For, for us, it's, it's always kind of more close micing with our new record. We threw some room mics in there and it actually, it actually ended up being really cool. But uh, for most of uh, our band's life, it's been like, you know, four twenty ones and fifty sevens close miking on the uh on the speaker and that's it. Yeah. That makes sense though for the style of what you're doing. It's all gotta be tight, you know what I mean? You're not trying to catch a whole bunch of decaying notes and stuff most of the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot more tight, like close miking. Like, you know, we never sat like in the big reverb room with the drums and played something really wide open because with how fast we play it just sound like a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. We uh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we haven't talked about, and I wonder if this is a more recent kind of thing, like it is for a lot of people, 
What did uh, your pedals look like back, you know, early on versus now? I know you guys are fans of pedals now, but was that always the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes and no. Um, it depends. So early days, I was like, you know, guitar, plug straight into amp, just go like, keep it simple, right? Mm-hmm. And then throughout the years of recording, uh, you know, like, I think it would have been on, well, life in general, really, like, there's a song called Chick Magnet where I had to go clean a lot. So uh, sometimes I would have a clean combo that I'd like to use a, like a, like a stereo pan pedal, like, or, you know, all the way forwards out, one output, all the way back sit, you know, another one. And I'd pan between the dirty amps and like a clean combo. Okay. Uh, sometimes, like, I would have like a, I had a, Mesa Stiletto for a long time uh, that I just channel switch with. Uh, it just depends. Uh, but then it it went more like, you know, oh, well, you know, maybe on that clean one, I'll throw a little chorus on there. That'll sound cool, right? And so I do that. And uh, recording our first moment with Jerry Finn, we had a, a clean breakdown on a song called The Next Big Thing. And uh, Jerry was like, oh, we should throw some, some, you know, a little bit of reverb and a little bit of chorus on it. That'll sound really cool. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really use chorus pedals. Whatever, let's try it. And he had just a a Dan Electro cool. Mm, oh yeah, and it's like a twenty, it's like a twenty thirty dollar pedal. But I mean, it just it sounds great. It's just a really good sounding uh, chorus, and we use that. And I used that one for years. And it's weird though; it's eighteen volts, so you had to like either run two batteries or get like a like a voltage doubler, or, or like you know, if you had a power supply with the eighteen, that mm-hmm. work. But uh, so that one was kind of one of the first ones I threw in. Uh, then moving forward, like we did a, song, a record called Before Everything and After, and there was like some phase and some, uh, you know, things like that. And like kind of like flangey kind of, you know, things that needed to have a little more color and a little more mess to it. So it started getting to where I'd have like an actual pedal board and it, it kind of grew. And I was real resistant at first because like I said, I was I was all into, you know, cable straight into the uh the head and just play and keep it simple but i just i kept playing with and you know you know finding fun things to do with them and like on that record uh before and after same thing there's a there's a song where there was a delay on the guitar for the whole thing mm-hmm. and i had to you know figure out oh i've i've never used a delay i need to figure out how to use a delay live and get it to tap and be in tempo with and with yuri who's back there playing and he's just hearing it in like either in ears or like the speakers, but he's not like we're not we never played to a click or anything. Right. So it never uh was something where it could just be real easy, like, you know, you know, type a number and everyone play it goes. It, it was always a lo- a lot of live feel to it. Like I'd have to kind of tap it out while he was counting sixteenths on the uh hi hat, right? And then kind of play and we'd feel okay, okay, we're okay, we locked in, we're good now, we can start the song. I, I feel like I watched so, you see, do that. That, that delay, that delay. I'm pretty sure that uh, probably, that whole yeah. scene. I I've seen you guys probably. a handful of times because I'm <clears> lucky enough to live in this neck of the woods, and I feel like I I remember this yeah. that exact scene. I don't remember what the festival was, but like watching, I'm like, what are they doing? Before I knew anything about gear, really, um, I was a guitar. I was <laughs> the same way, like a guitar player, like just straight into the amp. Um, and I remember, like, I have this image of you guys looking at each other and I'm like, what are they doing? What's he stepping on? I don't know. Back to the mosh pit. You know, like <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I was yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. scratching my head and watching you and a few other bands do that. And I didn't understand what a tap tempo was or what even a pedal was at that point. Um, 
that's interesting to hear you talk yeah, about. Yeah, I think I think I think back then that delay it was probably a like a a boss like DD three or DD five, I think something like mm-hmm. that, somewhere around that range of uh the pedals. It was just like you know, like what's what's the most standard pedal? I'll get that because I mean it obviously works. Everyone likes them, cool. And you know, and I don't think boutique pedals were as big back then too, but. Then, yeah, fast forward to now, like, you know, we got, you know, buddies at like Keeley and Wallers that, you know, we deal with all the time. And, you know, they'll text us like, hey, we're working on something really cool. And I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. What is it? Like before the ARP 87 came out, uh, the guys from Walrus came to one of our shows and they brought a big pedal board. And we were talking about delays. And they're like, they had a delay, but it was like a big, it was a big one. Right. And I'm like, God, this thing's just kind of big. Like, it's really a a space hog for the uh, pedal board. And they're like, Oh dude, we got this thing we're working on right now. They hadn't even, they haven't named it yet. Yeah. Right. They were just like, we got this thing we're working on. It's going to be really cool. Like, you know, it's going to be all the features of this thing, but like in a regular size pedal, I'm like, Oh man, that sounds rad. Like, you know, let me know when that comes out. And then I saw an ad for it or they announced it on Instagram or something. And I texted my buddy Tyler from there. I'm like, Hey, is this the one you were talking about? He's like, Oh yeah, that's it. And I'm like, Oh dude, that looks so cool. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of fun stuff that that one does. And, I got one of those now and it's, it's fun. You know, I like when you, uh, it's got the, uh, the features where you can kind of hold down on the different, uh, it's got two buttons, right? So you hold down different ones and it ramps up either like, you know, regen or like, you know, time. And like, it's just, it's really yeah, fun. That is, you can do some really fun little things with yeah, it. Yeah, that is, a, that is a fun pedal. I, I had a good time. I played it at NAMM for a little while and kind of spacing out and I was like, oh wait, I better go. Been here for a little while. Somebody else might want to check this out. <laughs> um, that is a cool, cool right. unit. Um, I remember you guys. Didn't you guys do something special with Keeley? I I I know a lot of guys over at Keeley. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, for for our twenty fifth anniversary, we had we'd been working a lot with Keeley too, and uh, our buddy uh, Josh over there was like, "Hey, you know, we should uh, we should make like a a pedal for your twenty fifth anniversary, and you know, maybe do like a giveaway." And I'm like. Dude, that's such a rad idea. Are you kidding? So we ended up doing a, uh, it's an Oxblood, okay. but it's uh, in a custom like MXPX box. So, uh, you know, we, we each got one and, you know, like Chris and I on stage, we throw them on our pedal boards and Mike's got one. But, uh, yeah, we did those and we made a couple extra ones. And I remember when we got them in, our friends were all at the studio and they're like, hey, w- what's up with these extra ones? Uh, w- what's going on with them, man? I'm like, dude, those are giveaways. You can't have them. They're like, oh, damn, come on. <laughs> yeah, so we did a we did a little a little video and we did a giveaway for a couple of people and yeah, that was really fun. They're they're a cool company and they're super down to like work with us on stuff. Oh yeah, those guys are those guys are awesome. I uh, <clears throat> I love the Keeley crew. Yeah. Ella and Rob is just a, a great sweetheart of a man. So been fortunate to have him on a, a yeah, couple. Yeah, I never times. met him. Never met. Oh, you him. not met Rob? Oh, you got to pull your. That's Pull your cool. strings. He's a he's a delight. Yeah. He's an absolute delight. You got to talk to Rob. Um, There's a lot of pedal companies from Oklahoma. I think like if we just went and go played in Oklahoma City, I think we'd meet all the uh, all the like the the brain trust. You know, you probably would, and and like not exclusively, but a lot of roads actually lead back to Keeley when you trace that out. Like a lot of it, it was. People who have worked for or with Keeley at some point decided to kind of branch out and do their own thing. And he's super, you know, super cool about it and has helped them uh, in some ways, you know, here and there. And yeah, it's like he's he's kind of the the hub, though, over there. 
So he's like the Godfather, sort of. It. I mean, not to plug, you know, not cool. to plug my own show too much, but the first time he was on, he's been on a couple times. It's pretty fascinating. If you get a chance to go listen to it, he had some pretty serious struggles he dealt with, um, and he talked about it on there a little bit, which took me by surprise because that was like an early. I was just dipping my toe into this weirdo gear world at this point. So, um, if you ever get curious, yeah, he's he's a pretty interesting cat. Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, is uh, now I know this can be the, the kind of take a side a side road back to the gear land. Do, is Mike as big of a gear nerd as you yeah. are? Uh, not as big, but he's still super into it, and also he gets into the studio stuff a lot too. So. He probably nerds out a little more on like studio gear, like actual like, you know, outboard mm-hmm. gear and, you know, Pro Tools and all that. Whereas I'm kind of into like just the straight guitar gear. But uh, he definitely does like to nerd out on it, too. And like when we were putting all these pedal boards together, like we had a festival show maybe three, four years ago down in California. And it was a throw and go, right? You know, like the changeover is like 15 minutes. And that's for one band to tear all the gear down. Everyone else to throw theirs up and it's time to play. Right. So. Just throw and goes are just like they're stressful. You don't have a sound check. You never set anything up. You're on rental gear. You know, it's just it's just bam, 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 right? So I'm throwing my pedal bar out there, run my loom back to the amp. I plug in and nothing happens. And I'm like, what the hell, right? So I'm immediately, you know, it's panic mode. I'm like running through, checking connections, right? Starting to eliminate things, you know. First thing I do is I go back, just plug straight into the amp. Okay, well, that works. Go back, work my way through the pedals. Finally found like my overdrive pedal for some reason stopped working. So I just like chuck that thing and leave it out of loop. And I finally got it to go and it was literally like, okay, and time to play. And so, you know, we've never been the most professional band, but we do play a lot of, you know, big kind of higher profile things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are paying decent money to come see us. So I kind of like, after the show, I was like, you know, once we started playing, everything worked. I was like, okay, I can relax. But after the show, I was just really, kind of pissed off like just at my gear right because it's my fault i mean it's no one else's fault so i was just kind of sitting there and i just told mike like because he saw me freaking out when we were all setting up and afterwards i was kind of pissed and he's like what happened i'm like dude i don't even know you right now i have no idea i just know like i i made it work eventually and we got through the show but i'm like like i'm not dealing with that anymore i'm gonna i'm gonna go pro with this like like give me a month i'm gonna nerd out really hard on this stuff and i'm gonna figure out like how to really nail this stuff down, then we're going to talk. And he's like, yeah, definitely. He's like, you know, keep me in loop. Right. So, I mean, I started, I went on, I don't want to say like, like a vision quest, but I went (laughs) on like, you know, some sort of journey where I was, I was going and I was finding out like, okay, cool. I have a piece of plywood that I like, you know, just like, you know, wrapped some, some, you know, tape around to make it not a piece of wood anymore. And like, I put some Velcro on, there's gotta be a better way to do this. So I went and like, really like looked into pedal boards and found out like who was doing what and like, you know, different materials and different, you know, attachment, you know, systems and all that. And I came back to the temple boards, which were, you know, they were aluminum. Mm -hmm. Their, their quick release kind of mounting system was just really cool. And I was like, I was like, this, this seems like industrial strength. I like this. Like, I don't think like I'm going to step on a pedal and the, Velcro was going to give out because I stepped on it kind of half-assed because, you know, I'm just running around the stage and boom, there goes my pedal flying away right away. Like, I feel like this is going to really, you know, I can lock this down. It's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, uh, <clears throat> I ended up, 
you know, kind of clicking on those and uh then I was like, okay, well, okay, I got I got this down. And like we had we had gotten in with the uh the Keely and the Walrus guys and I'm like, okay, so I got some, you know, some, you know, high quality, like, you know, handmade pedals here that aren't gonna be like, you know, like some little PCB board just fried out because we're playing, you know, out in the sun. It's like 120 degrees in the shade, right? So okay, I got I got something real solid here. I was just I was trying to make it, you know, uh-huh. bulletproof. Just absolutely. Like we went and we bought like, you know, luckily uh Yuri, our drummer, he's he's an electrician by trade, so he's he's pretty good with soldering iron. Uh, so we got like a big spool of Megami cable and like some connectors, and we made you know just we industrial strength the whole thing, and just made ourselves some pretty long cables, like thirty footers for like looms and all that, and like for backup cables, and we ended up like uh you know it's a real pain, and like you know. It's just one more thing to break. So why be plugged into long cables, dragging around stage and tripping on them, stepping on them, and just they wear out eventually. So like we ended up getting wirelesses, and I was looking at anything from like rack mount ones to like pedal board mounted ones, and decided on the uh, the latest Sure ones. I can't remember the uh, model number off the top of my head, but the Sure ones just like they just seemed kind of rock solid, and everything I read about them online was they're you know like they're built to last and their industrial strength, and so. You know, we took out the the cable from the guitar or the bass to the pedal board out of the mix because it was just one more thing that could go wrong. Yeah, you know, you deal with a little bit with the wireless, but, you know, they had a cool auto scan feature where you could just hit a button and they would find, like, the best frequency mm-hmm. for, like, wherever you are that day. So I kind of locked in on that. Then I was really looking at, like, you know, you know, like, I had the outputs coming from the pedal boards. Yeah, I'm like, well, I don't want things to get unplugged by accident so we end up getting like locking connectors on everything it's just every every little piece i could tweak out on i did and i tried to like to really like dig and research as hard as i could and just really geek out on as much as i could because i was like i want to do this and lock this down so where if we have a throw and go i can just kick my pedal board out on stage and plug it in and i know it's gonna work and so far so far like you know with we got better power supplies from true tone uh I was running just like, uh, you know, just a random mismatch of like patch cables between all of them. I got, uh, I, I locked in on, you know, everyone likes George L's and I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, I can do the custom lengths and all that. So I ended up getting the George L kit and running it down through to make it all clean too. Like I had everything patched up top, but running down underneath the pedal board and everything. And it just, you know, like I said, the, the main key I was going for was bulletproof with these things. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have any issues and like i said with throwing goes i just wanted to kick it out there and just right. have it work every Did time some of you, like you a lot of your focus was on reliability but specifically with the throw and goes <clears throat> did you have like the mindset like okay we're not going to get to pick what amps or whatever we're playing through so i need to make my board work with as many backlines as possible or what it, what was the thought processes as far as selecting the actual things on it uh yeah i mean so for the for the the amps, yeah, we do we do play a lot of rental gear. So I run a uh, a mission engineering uh, volume pedal for I just it has a minimum uh, volume you can set mm-hmm. when you kick it all the way heel down. So I use that as basically like you know equivalent of like potting down your guitar for clean. Uh, so I just that's what I use. So whatever I plug into, I just get a good dirty sound, and that's I use like the amp, you know, you know preamp all that. Just that's what I use for the main distorted you know dirty sound and then i just i have it set to where 
like 99% of the time, it's going to sound great. If I just kick it back to heel down, it's going to clean up enough and it's going to work. It's still slightly driven, but you know, if I just play a little lighter, it works too. And you can really clean it up. So I definitely, yeah, a, a little versatility was in mind there. Like I wasn't like, Oh, I'll just plant a, a Mesa, you know, channel switcher and just hope <laughs> we get Mesa's all the time. Cause yeah, it's just right. not necessarily going to be the thing. So, so, you know, most of the time when we tour, like, you know, we'll get Mesa's or Marshall's or uh, we've been working a lot with orange lately. So they've been hooking us up, which is really cool. Like, I'd always seen orange around and thought, yeah, they're pretty cool. You know, like strange. You, know, you want to wrap all your stuff in orange Tolex, but that's your thing. Cool. But uh, we went and played their stuff mm-hmm. at the Nashville showroom. And I played a dual dark and it also, I guess, helped because it was in a black box. I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, it's in a big orange thing. But I mean, we plugged into that thing. And I played it there and cranked it up for a second. I was just like, this thing sounds really good. So we took him to sound check, right? And we threw him up on stage. And usually when I don't know an amp, like if I, if I see like a dual rectifier or like a, like a GCM 800, I can set the knobs and know, like I'm roughly already there. Like I can, I can tweak it from there. But when I don't know an amp, I'll just kind of put everything right. at noon and just see where it is. So I just, I, I just put all the, all the tones, gains, volumes, everything. I put them all straight up on that dual dark plugged in it sounded really good through just a orange an orange 412 i was like huh <laughs> that was too easy so i went and i would jack with things and i spent about a half hour just trying trying to like you know crank the mids and lower the mids you know bass treble everything just trying to see like, i couldn't have just hit it straight noon that's too easy right but i literally i messed with it for like a half hour and i came back to it and everything was straight up it was crazy i was like all right i'm kind of a bonehead about like like settings, like usually on my pedals, like if something sounds really good at almost all the way up, I'll just crank it all the way because I'm like, that's easier if I just, if I go hard over to like, you know, you know, all the way to the right, then cool. I know where it's always set and I can just, you know, if I bump it, I can check it. Oh, that's good. I know where it is. But I was just shocked. I'm like, this thing sounds amazing and everything's straight up. So to me, that kind of said like it was a really, like a, a well built and well voiced amp too because it was like, Here's everything mm-hmm. straight up. You didn't need to cut or boost. Yeah, that anything. makes sense. I mean, it it's they got a lot cool. of range on either side. You know, if it sounds good at noon with the last ball. <clears> you know, you might you know crank up the low end a little bit to work with the telly or whatever. Um, it's like if it sounds good at noon, uh, it's, right, right. It's gonna work with a wide variety of instruments, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was one of those things too. It was just like I'm like you know. I couldn't have just gotten it just by like, I, I, did, I didn't know the amp, you know, but it just, it happened and put it out to my, uh, my guitar tech, my buddy Trevor. And I was like, dude, check out the settings on this thing. Sounds good, right? He's like, yeah, it sounds great. And he looked at it, he's like, that's funny. Cause normally like if we're sharing backline or anything, we'll just take a picture of the settings so we can hit them back up right before we play. But he's like, well, I don't think right. I need to take a picture. I can remember everything straight up. That's easy. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to, to talk to you about that I almost forgot about you've you've toured more than anyone that I've actually talked to on this show at this point do you have any like um I don't know what the okay. word would be like good rules of thumb for guys going out and playing gigs as far as uh just weird tips or tricks you might have picked up or any just kind of things that somebody who's toured for 20 plus years would know that somebody who doesn't really do that you know, wouldn't think about. 
Hmm. You know, definitely I've been talking about reliability, right? I mean, nothing will frustrate you more than having to fight with your amp to make it work every night. And I was watching uh, that documentary, Mike It Loud, with uh, Jack White, The Edge, and uh, Jimmy Page. And Jack White was talking about he wants a guitar he has to kind of do battle with and, like, get in a fight with because he feels like, you know, like, you know, he kind of earned it and all that. I'm like, that's really cool. But, man, every night, I don't know if I could deal with that. Like, just a constant struggle to get your stuff to work right and all that. So I'm I'm a big fan of reliability with my gear. And I mean, as a touring guy, I think, you know, and I think most touring guys would probably agree that if you get something you really like how it sounds and it's reliable, man, there's nothing better right. than knowing your stuff's going to work every night. Uh, that and like, you know, you know, investing in, you know, good quality gear, like, you know, it might cost a little more, but in the long run, you're going to be so much happier, you know hearing things i mean we had a a producer we worked with jerry finn who uh said one of his keys to getting a band to perform better was he's like i try to make it sound better than they've ever heard themselves in the studio like in the control room so when they're playing they're just like they're so stoked that they sound good that they're just going to play even better and like with more energy so being able to hear yourself coming back off your amp and like you know you strum like a big old a chord and it just just gives you chills. It just, it, it'll make your day so much better. So, you know, I definitely am a fan of, you know, you might want to spend a couple extra bucks and get the, the one that you really want. That sounds really good. And yeah, you know, it's just, you're going to play it all the time, especially touring. Like we do, or like we used to for sure. It's, you're going to get your use out of it. You know, I mean, back in 2000, I bought a, a pair of, uh, mm-hmm custom shop R9s from uh, Gibson. And uh, they were both sunburst. One's a dark burst, one's a cherry burst. And man, I played those things all the time. Like there's pictures out there of me playing the cherry burst where I wore through the finish up above the uh, kind of between the neck pickup and the bridge pickup and just above them. Just like, you know, just run around stage and jump around like I do. Like I'm kind of all over the place and I've straight up worn through all the finish and it it looks like a relic guitar, but I promise you, it was nice. shiny and brand new when I got it, and I did all that. Like it's all it's all weather checked. It's all weather checked from being in a hot club all night and like a freezing trailer on, you know, all the next day to getting to the next show, right? So it's just it's got a lot of authentic wear on it. And uh, I remember speaking of Orange, so a rep from Orange came out and he was looking at our gear before we played, and he was just like, "Who did the relic on this?" I'm like that's not a relic. I did it. He's like, "What?" I'm like, yeah, I just played it for 17 years and that's what happened. He's like, dude, that's so cool. He's like, you're telling me about like all these high res photos they've taken of like Jimmy Page's guitars and all these ones that they tried to kind of do like signature models where they would kind of mimic that guitar. And he's like, he's like, he's like, I've never seen wear just like this. How'd you do that? I'm like, I'm not a good guitarist and I just beat the crap out of the thing. And that's what happened. So it's yeah, he he was really amped on. He's like, that's so cool. He's like, everyone plays all these relic guitars and you can't tell, but that's really cool that you did that. And I'm like, yeah, man. This thing the cherry burst actually, it's funny. Uh so uh my my guy Jimmy from uh Gibson, he was like the artist mm-hmm. right back in like uh nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. I just him with him. I said, Hey, I wanna I wanna get these two guitars. So I ordered them through him. He had the custom shop make them and he was down in LA and they were sitting in his office one day and uh Adam Day, who's a uh, Slash's guitar tech, been his tech for years, right? 
comes in, sees a couple guitars sitting there. So he's, you know, going through, just looking at him, you know, and he sees my cherry burst and he's like, Ooh, what, what's going on with this one? And Jimmy's like, Oh, it's for this guy from Spanish MXPX. He's like, Slash wants it. And Jimmy's like, what? He's like, he's like, Slash wants this guitar. He's like, dude, the guy already bought it. It's paid for. He's like, has he seen it yet? Oh, <laughs> no. Well, it doesn't matter that Slash wants this one. He's like, I just want to let you, Jimmy, my, my Jimmy's like, I just want to let you know that I told him, no, that was your <laughs> guitar. I'm like, no way, man. That's so cool. Like, I mean, I obviously grew up loving Guns N' Roses, right? And like, because you look at what Slash plays and all that, my cherry burst would have fit right in with him. So for, you know, for him to say, I kind of, I fought the good fight for you. I was pretty stoked about that. That's so cool. That one, Thanks, Jimmy. That one has a good little backstory. That's amazing. <laughs> Slash wants yeah. that. And it would have been yeah, so easy for seriously. him to be like, okay. Like, it, <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, Slash is like, I mean, he's the guy. I mean, like, he's he's incredible. So, you know, you hear a lot about, like, you know, guys, oh, he's, he's really good. He's technically proficient or, like, he's in this big famous band. Slash is all that, but he's also just, like, I've always just loved, like, what he plays. Like, it's not about how many notes you can play. It's playing the right notes, you know? And he just, he plays all the right notes, in my opinion. He's just, you know, he's never, everything he does, all his solo works, just so good. Like, and like, you know, hearing that he wanted that amp guitar, I was just so stoked. <laughs> you I'm can't like, have that's right. I, lo- I love I you, Slash, it. but you can't have it. And right. obviously, obviously, he never saw it. Yeah, and he never saw it or anything. But I know, like, you know, his tech, you, you know, knew he would like love it. So that's pretty cool. Getting to have it for my own was pretty um, sweet. Well, Slash, obviously. What are some of your other uh, guitar yeah. heroes? Oh, geez. I mean, you know. Over the years, they kind of, you know, change, but, uh, you know, the amount of running around on stage we do and like, you know, I try to be high energy and I get so mm-hmm. amped up to just playing that, like, I can't help myself sometimes, but, uh, I've always loved Angus Young just cause he's just out there. He's just, he's possessed like, in like the best possible way. Like he's just run around stage, just, you know, doing the duck walk and just going crazy. He's just a little guy with an SG just going for it. And I've always just. Loved what he does, not to mention their songs are incredible and he's a great player too, but just like he's just out there just sweating his ass off and just going for it. And he's like, you know, he was an old man. We, I, they're kind of done now, right? Like they've, yeah. they've kind of said like, hey, we're we're pretty much done. Right. Do you know about is that? Yeah. So, so I mean, but they were doing it right until the end and he was still out there giving 110% every night and he was he was really inspiring in that way. Um, Pete Townsend is another one. Just you know, you know, just playing, you know, just windmilling his guitar and he has his arm around and just like writes amazing songs, tons of energy, you know, just showing off out there. Just always really loved that. Oh, my man. Um, Joe Strummer's another one. Uh, and that one kind of, yeah, and that works for me too because, you know, like I've never been like a noodler. I've always been a strummer. So, and that's where he picked his name from. He was like, you know, I wasn't the best guitarist, but I could strum along. So, he picked Joe Strummer and Clash are like my the Clash and the Descendants are my favorite bands ever. So, you know, the Clash and Joe Strummer just being that strummer, the strummer line, just really, you know, I don't know, he just grabbed me and he just wrote such cool things. And he was like he was a preacher with his singing mm-hmm. too, like and you believed everything he was saying, right? Uh then obviously speaking of the descendants, Stefan from the Descendants, you know, just incredible guitarist and like in the pop punk world, like, you know, like I mean, he wrote of the course. Book. I mean, straight up. Uh, 
And so the cool thing with that too, is like getting to know him over the years and becoming friends with him, but like still seeing him play, like the descendants came up here, uh, two nights in Seattle, uh, when they did their new record, I him caffeinate and I went both nights and was just like in the crowd, just geeking out and singing along. It was just, it was so great. And then, uh, so talking on that strumming thing, uh, I kind of have like, I was kind of thinking about like, I have, I have like five guitar heroes. So it was, it was Angus, Pete, Joe, Stefan, oh, yes. and then, uh, Mm-hmm. Brian Baker from Bad Religion, Dag Nasty, Minor Threat, right? Just incredible player, right? So we were sitting there one day on Warp Tour with Bad Religion, and we had just played, and we were talking, and I was saying, like, you know, I was kind of like disappointed that like I sucked or whatever, and he was so good and all that, whatever. And uh, he's like, "Dude, what you do up there is incredibly hard. It's way harder than some guy playing a solo." He's like, "You're the only one out there doing it." Every little thing you do wrong, he's like, he's like, it was like that with me with Dag Nasty. Any little thing you did wrong, everyone hears it and everyone knows it. You have to be 100% spot on, locked on, locked in the whole time. You cannot take a, a moment <laughs> off. I'm like, that's pretty cool. And then obviously, you know, him being him being a guitar hero of mine was another thing. Where I was just that's like, so awesome. Brian Baker just said that to me. No way. Yeah, he's he's incredible too. And yeah, I mean, I've sat, I've sat next to his amp and just listened to him play many times and just been blown away. And he's one of those guys too. I think like he picks up a guitar and it just sounds different when he plays it. You know, there's a there's yeah. A, he he definitely has a the the finger thing going on. Yeah, you know, he does. Like, there's there's something magic in his fingers, hundred percent. There's a there's a cool story. It, speaking of how like how some people can play gear and just make it sound better, there was a. Aerosmith was recording in like Vancouver or something like that. And I think the engineer might have been Bob Rock or some engineer, right? And they were like, hey, come out to this bar tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, the band's playing, you know, come check it out, right? So Aerosmith, yeah, cool, show up. So I think it was Dave Jordan who we had worked with. He was engineering on a thing or something like that. And he said, the engineer, whoever it was, uh, got up. Their band played, and he's like, it just sounded horrible. It sounded so bad. And he's like, I was so bummed out because this guy was a really good engineer, but it just sounded like garbage. Mm-hmm. He's like, so band is up there, and they play, and it sounded like crap. And then, you know, it's it's a little bar show in Vancouver that nobody's at, and all the Aerosmith guys are there. So they're like, well, we'll get up and play too. You know, this will be fun, right? Just surprise. Here we go, right? So he's like, Aerosmith got up, jumped on all the same gear, didn't change a thing, night and day. He's like, it sounded incredible all of a sudden. And he's like, they just have something magic in their fingers when they play together, that whole thing. And it, I'd fully believe that. So Baker's one of those people for me that like he just he picks up a guitar and it just sounds better. Yeah, I, I, I've i always really liked. I don't know. Just like, yeah, I can play that same power chord that he just played. And it somehow between the recording, how he's how he plays it, whatever he's using. It just sounds fuller and richer and it's just like I'm playing a, I'm still playing a G. Why does my G not sound like that G? I'm so mad about it. Right. right. And I I got a lot of guys <laughs> like that. Like Mike Ness is a huge one. I mean, it's just like dude. Oh. Yeah. The Ness's, tones. Ness's guitars sound so good. Yeah. So I sat I sat side stage and watched him and he has those uh those modded uh basement black faces, right? Mhm. And there's just like he has one on each side, so he's got you know a stereo pair running, and they just sounded so good. And he's playing like a gold top with like P90s, and it just, just like 
creamy goodness. It was so good. It was just like, like, are you hearing this, guys? Same, uh, same thing. I uh, saw Audio Slave. We played a radio show with them years back, and uh, I got to sit about fifteen feet from Tom Morello's amp. Mm-hmm. And I think just he plays like an old eight hundred through a four twelve. Same when he's played for years with Rage and all that. And it just sounded so good. It was just like, you know, sitting there and just hearing people. Like you said, like he obviously does really fun things. You know that like have nothing to do with like playing the guitar in like a classical sense of like, here, we're going to strum some chords. Like he'll take out the input and like touch it to the, uh, to the pickups and all that. And like he does all sorts of really fun things, but just it sounded so cool. And it's just like, wow, man, this guy has got something. That's <laughs> he definitely has something. I would love to see him live sometime. Yeah, that would be, that would be really fun. Yeah. Dude's no joke. He's really good. So, so we're getting down to kind of the, I could, I think I could ask you about stories like for hours on end and that would be perfectly okay with me. I would just sit here and go, <laughs> go, wow, that's awesome. Um, but nice. since, <laughs> since, uh, you know, maybe we want to save some for round two one day, but, um, yeah. what is one of the coolest or weirdest or craziest things you've seen in your time on the road? Hmm. Let's go with craziest. Well, okay. Uh, so we did our. I think it was our second first or second tour down in South America, which is kind of like the Wild West. It's a little it's a little wild down there still as far as like the touring world. So we were playing a little town called Curitiba on the coast in Brazil. And uh, I show up at the show and, you know, we walk in and crew had been there for maybe like an hour or two. And we had a lighting guy, our buddy Jeff on tour this. And he goes, Tom, glad you're here. Come here, right? You walk up on stage and. Over on my side of the stage, literally like right next to where the guitar world and where my apps are, there's a cardboard box with a big skull and crossbones drawn on it, and it says, Touch this, you will die. And I'm like, Oh, what is that? I'm like, What what's going on there? He goes, Come here. So he grabs the cardboard box and pulls off carefully. And it's it's the main power bus for like oh. the entire club. But it's wide open. Like, you know, you can see all the wires. And it's jumper cables that are hooked onto the top of it. And then the jumper <laughs> cables are running along the back wall. He's like, come here, follow it. So he, we follow it. It runs along the back wall out into the building next door. And that's how the place is getting their power. And he's like, that's live 240 right there. And it's wide open, exposed. He's like, I couldn't not put something over it because I knew for sure you would fall into it tonight and die. Wow. So, yeah, so he, he made a little box and covered it up and he's like, just be really mindful of that thing tonight because it, it will kill you if you touch it. That's just and it's just with jumper cable just slipped on there. Like, no, no worries. It's fine. Yeah. I, like I said, it's the Wild West, man. It's it's definitely crazy. And but. You know, yes, it's the Wild West, too, but that also makes it just so much more fun and exciting. Like, you know, the shows down there are just they're just like rowdier in like a really fun way, you mm-hmm. know. It's just, it's a good time. But, you know, the imminent death at stage right is not fun. That's not, yeah, that's not something I ever want to experience myself. I'm, I'm, I'm down <clears> for yep. a rowdy mosh It's fun to see, though. That's a little bit next level. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So when playing in South America, watch out, kids. So yeah. Be careful. Yeah, just, yeah, make sure if you got jumper cables stealing power from the building next door that it's all set up right. <laughs> Good, good. That's good advice for life. I think whether you're a tur- touring musician yeah, or not. Seriously. So I want you to, I, I have a final all important question 
after this one. But first, uh, it would probably be a good time for you to uh, kind of talk about what's going on with your Kickstarter campaign. And uh, feel yeah, free yeah. to just sit shameless plug away on everything in that regard. Oh, yeah. So we, uh, we're we doing a new record right now. And uh, we just launched a Kickstarter uh, for this. And you know, hopefully it's still going when this airs. But uh, basically, we just... We talked about maybe doing it with a label and all that, and just we were like, "No, this is just all, you know, this just doesn't feel right." And so, like, like I was saying earlier, we don't do things. We say no more than we say yes. We don't do things unless we absolutely believe in it now and make sure that's going to make sense for us and make sure it's something we actually want to do. I mean, I feel like at one point in our career, we would tour and play shows just because that was that's what we did. And okay, we must play more shows now. Mm-hmm. We're now we try to make it a little more special and like try to do fun things. So we decided to do the record on our own, just at our own studio. Got a buddy of ours from over in Seattle that uh, came over and recorded it. Buddy Casey Bates, who's a great producer. And it's not like we just found some rando friend. Like he's a, like, he's a serious, like, like bona fide like Grammy winner. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just, we did it all on our own and we got this Kickstarter going to basically, well, to make sure Casey's check doesn't bounce for one, but also uh, just just to fund, you know, promoting the record. We're going to be out there promoting the record on our own and going out and playing shows and trying to spread the word about it. Because the thing is with this record is we got in the studio and it was just us. You know, we had been playing weekend shows and all that. And it kind of came one day where Mike's like, I got a couple songs, guys. Do you want to hear some new ones? We're like, yeah, duh. Mm-hmm. And we started working on them and just like, the vibe now it's and it's not like the band was ever like no fun but it's so much more fun now than it has been in years and uh it just everything really clicked and the songs were coming out just really fun and cool and just like a lot more up tempo kind of just like fun it was it was just it was all clicking really really easily like where it was like this feels really good like what's going on like the song is too good like we should have just came up with that in like 15 minutes what happened right <laughs> sometimes that's so, the best uh, stuff yeah, yeah, right. Did we just stumble onto something? What's going on, right? So I'm just, I'm so excited to get this record out there. Like, I've been telling people, like, I wish we made this record when I was in my 20s, man. And we were out touring every day, you know, like, because it's just like, I feel like it's a return to form. And I think with that whole it being a lot more fun than it has been in years thing, I think that really translated into the recording and the music. And we we did it with like a whole kind of live feel because we were sitting in the studio, you know, in the in the rehearsal room, just banging them out and recording it right and so we we wanted that same kind of feel for the record so it's recorded where like you know all my guitar is on one side and all chris is on the other and you know we're not really playing like if we're playing like a little lead thing that's just all that's coming out of the left hand side that's it right it's not like a you know stereo pan guitars with a nice you know fat lead sound right up the middle it's it's very it's very live sound like it's in this all audience perspective so if you're listening to it and you're you're imagining looking at the stage like you're gonna hear me on the left side and you're gonna hear Chris on the right side kind of thing and Yuri's stepping on his hi hats through all the parts where it would normally just be like a click kind of keeping us all together. Right. If there's like a holdout or whatever. Yuri's stepping on them and you know stepping the counts and we left left it all in there just to give it that live feel that we just were really feeling and really enjoying when we were making all these record all these songs just like when we were writing them in the studio. So I'm just really really stoked that this thing is come together so well and you know casey was a dream to work with he just he made everything sound so good so quick and he he took all the production 
out of our way and like we didn't even have to like think about or worry about any of it. It was just like it was all vibe and just playing and it was really it was so much fun and I just can't wait for people to hear it. But the Kickstarter is going on now to fund that. So there's a million different ways you can get involved. Anything from, you know, just buying a digital download of the record, which is rad, to like getting colored vinyl or like we made little plush dolls of the uh the PXPX, the Pukanach Punk. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywhere up to like, uh, we're having a house party you can come to and, uh, we're going to play the whole record through, or like we're doing a, a bonfire thing where we're just going to meet up and have a bonfire, like in the middle of the summer and, you know, bring out some acoustic guitars and have some sing-alongs and all that. Let's <coughs> get, I mean, there's so many different ways to get involved. So if everyone wants to check it out, it's all over the MXPX, Facebook, Instagrams, it's all over our personal Instagrams and Facebooks and everywhere it's easy to find if you just google mxpx kickstarter but i definitely would encourage people to check it out because i'm so excited for people to hear this record and i want i want people to feel what i feel yeah we'll make sure and uh put that link in the show notes there for everybody to make it nice and easy so you can find out all that i appreciate that no problem no problem i appreciate that well i'm really excited for it myself uh to be honest because i i'm trying not to make you feel like an old man or anything but like uh, I was listening to you guys in middle school, so <laughs> it's uh, nice. It, nice. It's a. Uh, it's kind well, of. Thank you. Well, it's a. It's. Oh yes, absolutely. It was a. It's an honor to kind of. I didn't ever think this would happen, so this is pretty rad. Um, I'm glad it did. And I got. I do have. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. I wanted to do this because there's two listeners I know. And I don't know if this is weird or not. There's two listeners I know for sure. They're you know quite active in the the community. Um, and they both have their own podcasts actually. Um, but, yeah. uh, they have MXPX tattoos and I, I'm sure they're oh, nice. both, they're probably both like embarrassed that I'm telling you this, but if you could say hi to, uh, Brian and co, I'm sure that would make their day. <laughs> Brian and co owners of the best tattoo in the world. How's it going? Yeah, guys? There you go. Yeah, it's, it's right. I got it. I got it too. I got it too. Mike has it. We're trying really hard to get Yuri to get it. Yuri has no tattoos, so Brian and Co. If you could hit Yuri up on like Instagram or Facebook or wherever you can get to him, let him know. Hey, man, we got it. Why don't you? There you go. That's uh, Brian from the Tone nice. Jerks and Co. from the Flippin' Flippers. So if you get the chance, uh-huh. uh, you can check out their stuff too. If you get, if you, uh, you know, once you burn through all the back episodes of Tone Mob, of course, because I mean, I got some homework to do. <laughs> Can't imagine anyone would want to listen to me that long. Um, but the, the final and probably most important question that I ask all the guests, um, or try to ask all the guests, if I remember is, uh, Tom, what is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh man, I'm, I'm a, like a pepperoni, sausage, bacon, onion, garlic like kind of guy. Crust. My breath probably reeks afterwards. Oh yeah. Thin. Thinner. Yeah. Thin, thinner. Nice. Like New York style thin. Uh, any yeah. specific uh, specific restaurant that really does does the pie right for you? Uh, I got some buddies like literally up the street from my house that I have a pizza place called the Toad House here in Bremerton, and they make such good like wood fired pizza. I went up there uh, Friday, went and hung out with them, had a couple of beers, got a pizza, bring home, and they make excellent pizza. It's so good. Mm. That sounds like some a local good time. boys. And don't and don't worry about your breath. Like, if your breath smells, that means it was a good meal. Don't worry about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's their problem. Yeah. It's not mine. <laughs> well, 
Well, thank you very much for coming on, Tom. I really appreciate it. This was a this was a good time. I uh, oh, thanks for having I, me. I uh, if you ever want to come back on, you you know find me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, round two. You know, I've got tons. Of, I got stories for years, man. Mm, I'm yeah. We should do a do a story time episode. That would be fun. <laughs> there you go, man. Right on, man. Well, for Tom, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. That episode was quite a uh, quite a trip for me. That's not something I ever ever thought would happen. Um, I've uh, I've been listening to that band for for quite a while, and I know there's a bunch of super fans in the audience, so that's really exciting for me to get to talk to Tom and kind of nerd out on a little bit different aspect than what what you might normally hear in a band member interview. And I'm really hoping that I can bring some more things like that to the show. So let's keep our fingers crossed in that regard. And big thanks to Tom for taking time out of his day to come on. And do check out that Kickstarter. It's still rolling. It's starting to get close to the end. If you are listening to, you know, pretty close when this airs, it's still out there. It's still, it's still, uh, you can still get in on some goods. So check the link in the show notes for more information on that regard. And other than that, I hope you all have the most wonderful week. I'll talk to you next time. And feel free to holler at me on any of the socials, info at tonemob.com for email, or wherever you get your tone mobbery. Take care, folks. I hope everything is grand. Have a good week. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.